Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. One with nature, and if you're a believer, one with God. Definitely gets your heart pumping. Boy, you are in trouble. Fall Obsession Podcast. What's happening, everybody? Sam here with Fall Obsession, coming to you guys with another week of our Fall Obsession Podcast. Really appreciate you guys tuning in. This week is another part two. So there is an episode that led into this podcast here this week. Um, It is episode 63, the one right before this one. So if you have not listened to that one about Tana and Trevor's Alaskan brown bear hunt, how it went wrong, basically, they ended up getting actually charged by um, this record book brown bear. So if you guys haven't listened to that story in part one of that story, you really need to go back and listen to it before you continue through the rest of this episode. So if you haven't done that, go do that right now. Otherwise you're here to listen to part two and we are going to pick up this week exactly where we left off last week. So hope you guys enjoy the rest of my conversation with Tana and Trevor about their Alaskan brown bear hunt. I'm just going to die here. <laughs> I mean, I just felt so helpless, really. Um, and I was just terrified. I, I went and crawled up in the rocks and just kind of like went in the fetal position and was shaking and praying and just trying to like process what had just happened and wondering if he was going to come back up the hill. I mean, after watching what he did after those three good shots, um, I, I knew that we turned him with a pistol, which was a good thing, but I wasn't sure that he was going to stop. Um, so yeah, it was all pretty terrifying for me and I've never had that happen before. I felt like I was very near death and I had kind of come to terms with it. I just, 
was like preparing for impact. That's all I can explain it as. And as we kind of sidled back to our gear to see if he was alive or if we could see where his tracks went, and Trevor saw him piled up at the bottom of that little avalanche wet slide. Um, I just had like, I don't even know. It's just, it's hard to explain, but a pretty big sense of relief. Like, holy crap, we just survived. But we didn't really feel happy or excited because we were still up there. We still had to make it out. We still had to get off the mountain. We still had to survive the other bears in the area with only five more pistol shots. And so it was, it was like, yeah, we survived, but it also felt kind of like halftime. Like this isn't over yet. We still have to make it off this mountain. So yeah, it was definitely top craziest experience in my life that honestly, like today is probably the first day that I've felt pretty normal. Um, I had a lot of flashbacks the last few weeks. I just, I, couldn't get motivated to do anything. I didn't feel like myself. Um, so today, like two weeks later, I'm finally starting to kind of <laughs> feel somewhat normal again after that. It's pretty crazy. That That is insane. Doesn't even describe it. I'm, I'm sitting here listening to y'all. I, I, first off, I can't even imagine for one, having something like that happen. Uh, I, I, I can't honestly say I have anything to legitimately compare that to. And it's just, that's, that's crazy. I want to I want to back up just a little bit real quick because we we dove right in and, and and we talked about the experience itself. How far? Because because y'all y'all land y'all set up a camp, your camp and everything, but from camp to where y'all are at right now, how far in are you guys? It was about eight miles. Um, eight miles of hiking, not easy terrain, um, and so it was about six miles as the crow flies, but. Yeah, I mean, it was it was mostly like Anna said, creeks. There was multiple river crossings where you had to put on hip boots for. Um, where we were both wearing big backpacks because we had known when we left the tent that the chances of us being back to the tent were almost zero before night fell. And so um, we didn't. Yeah, we we just knew okay, we're gonna need some some gear. Um, and so we had brought puppies and that sort of thing and dry bags. When you're in Alaska, it's basically everything has to be in a dry bag or else it's useless. There's no point of even having a puffy if you're not going to have it in a dry bag. And so, um, we, you know, on this whole stock, we have probably both 50 pound backpacks on a piece, um, as we're going through the rivers and the creeks and the brush. And, um, so I mean, it, it took us a long time to get up there. Like Tana said, it was about six o'clock, um, when we left camp in the morning and it was, about uh let's see it was about 10 30 11 at night when we were finally getting close to finishing skinning it out wow and so um the main goal from that point was okay we're gonna have to work our way down through these these cliffs and get to the riverbed um to where we can at least set up a little tarp and try to put our dry clothes on um and wait for it to get get light again but the big thing was okay we're up in the snowy alpine we have about 2,000 feet of elevation to drop before we were going to get to the riverbed. Um, and it's all cliffs. I mean, for the most part, just working our way up in the daylight was hard enough. Um, you know, you keep getting cliffed out and you'd have to go to the side and find a, a little chute around the cliffs or between the cliffs. And so um, it, it felt a lot like sheep hunting, honestly. I mean, I know Tana's done a sheep hunt. I've done a sheep hunt up there. And it felt almost identical to sheep hunting to me. Um, it was just cliffs 
really steep. Um, these bears, it's impressive the kind of country that they're up in, um, especially this time of the year. And so, yeah, I mean, it was just, we need to get to the riverbed and hopefully we can survive the night before we start the uh, probably seven miles back to the tent from, from where the riverbed was at. Um, and so just to give you a reference on weight now, at this point, I have 150 pound pack about in Canada, about a hundred pound pack. Um, and so heavy, I mean, it's heavy, heavy. It's not just, you know, it's not just a normal backpack or a spike camp or something like that. I mean, where it's about as heavy as you would, you would physically want to do or be, be capable to do. And we have a long ways to go ahead of us. Um, and so we actually just set up the tarp in the, in the riverbed in the middle of the night, we got down to the riverbed at two 30 in the morning. Um, and so it was almost 24 hours straight of going, going, going. Um, and so we just set up camp under a tarp. The rain was going sideways. It was cold. It was windy. Um, the rain didn't stop pretty much from, from the time shortly after the bear died until, um, until the end of the next day. So, um, about as, as about as wet as you could get. Um, but luckily, like I said, you know, we had some dry puppies and stuff to where when we got under the little tarp that we had, um, we were able to put some dry puppies on and dry pair of socks on. Um, to where we didn't get hypothermia through the night. So uh, I have to ask, because again, you're, you're talking to to a novice in the world of bear hunting right now. Um, how much of this bear were you actually able to take out with you? And, and also you have, I believe, seven bullets in this thing at this point. Is that correct? Yep. yep. It had seven bullets in it. Um, Honestly, when you walk up to them, it's just, it, it really is like it's, it's something you've never seen or almost never believed that there was even animals this size, um, especially predators. And it, it seems unrealistic when you walk up to it and you, you see the size of these things. Um, you just really don't know what to think. I mean, it was just, I had gotten the bear and, and Tana had already processed. They felt like a lot of the information of what, what had happened. Um, up until this point and to, to where when she got to the bear, she was almost in work mode. You know, she's like, we got to get this thing skinned up. You know, we got to do this and this. And that is when it all set in for me for some reason. And I, I got sick and I almost, I had to sit there for about 15 minutes before I could even start skinning um, and just try and not throw up and, and, and just process what had happened um, and that we had made it through it up until this point. But again, uh, it was not over in my head. It wasn't going to be over until we got back to our main camp. Um, and I knew that was at least about, about 24 hours away from, from where we were at that point. Um, but just how big these bears are, I mean, Canada, I, I was like, okay, I'll get this thing. I'll, I'll help you get it flipped over to where, um, you can start standing on it while I sit here and try and not grow up. And, uh, it was in deep enough snow that we basically had to, had to carve out a bunch of snow below it um it was on a steep enough hill that we had to use the hill to our advantage and get the bear to slide into the hole and use that momentum to get him to flip over because i mean these bears are so massive if you were on a flat piece of ground um i i don't think it would have been physically possible for me and tana to flip the bear over it on its belly to where you can start skinning how you're supposed to and so um, yeah, I mean, it's just so, so big. Um, but in Alaska, you aren't required to take, uh, you're, you're not required to take the meat on these bears. Most people don't, even people that usually 
um, eat black bear meat and that sort of thing. Uh, these bears are really nasty. They have really rotten meat. Um, you find a lot of worms when you're skinning them. Um, for the most part, they're just eating rotten fish all the time. Rotten salmon is their main food source. And so um, they're not the best to eat. And so um, even biologists said, you know, people will bring some meat out and they usually end up throwing it away after the first bite. And so we had a hide and a skull is what you're required to take. And um, the hide weighed in at about 108 pounds without anything else, any backpacks or any of that. And the skull would have been about 20 pounds or so. Um, and so uh, all that in combination with all of our gear and wet gear and wet backpacks um, is what kind of led to us having such heavy backpacks going out of there. Wow. That, that is crazy. So, and just so that our listeners have a, have a reference, I mean, we know we're talking about a massive animal uh, and I'm not trying to jump to the end or anything, but when it was all said and done, how big was this bear? He measured out at 10 foot four. Um, and his skull was uh, 28 and a quarter was what his skull measured, which, uh, biologists said had about the same width as a typical Kodiak. Um, and so a monster of a bear. And, um, I have talked to multiple guides since then. And I talked to a guy yesterday that had been guiding on the peninsula up there for, um, for at least the last 20 years. And he has only had one client kill over a 10 foot bear. So that, if that kind of gives you a reference for, um, you know, how actually big this was, even in the realm of these massive bears, he was a monster. And this is your first brown bear. Is that correct? Correct. Yep. Wow. That, that is crazy. So last question, and then we'll, we'll move on to, to y'all getting this thing out of there and kind of pick up where we left off. But when you first walked up on this thing and were able at, at whatever point you were able to actually look at him and size up how big this bear actually is that versus when you were spotting him through your spotting scope a ways off. I mean, obviously you knew you were chasing a big bear. You talk about, you know, your, your boot in the bear's track itself. Was this bear bigger than you thought he was? He was honestly pretty close to what I thought. Um, when, when you see these big boars walking up on the hill, they, it's almost like it takes so much energy for them to walk up the hill that they can't breathe with their mouth closed. And so um, this one, along with the other boar that we had saw the second day, um, which was probably fairly close to the same size. I mean, it's pretty strange to have two 10-foot bears in one drainage, but these bears were way up in really nasty spots that most people aren't willing to go. Yeah, I mean, I would say it was it was fairly close to um, what I had thought his size was, but I honestly didn't realize till later on on really how big a 10-foot bear was. You know, you hear the word 10-foot bear thrown around a lot up there, and um, the reality is, is most people don't kill 10-foot bears. Most people kill a 9-foot boar or something like that, you know. And so 10-foot is really a monster. Um, but I honestly didn't really realize quite, you know, I, I saw it and I saw, man, this thing is insanely big. But I didn't realize it was, you know, like a monster as far as they go. I know, okay, I got a 10-foot bear. That's awesome. You know, and then it was really once I got back that everybody's like, you know, that's world class. I mean, most people will never kill something like that. And a lot of guides have never even guided something like that. And so um, for me, you know, I knew it was massive, but I almost thought it was partly just because I didn't know any better. Um, but then afterwards, it really helped me realize how how big he was. Um, and at one point, actually, when we were hiking out, Tana had a video um, on her phone, uh, that last shot. And we watched that video back and I go, 
man, it was even worse than I remember. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> just the, the size of the head on it was just massive. I mean, you, you can kind of tell on their, how big they're kind of with how big their ears are. If their ears look tiny, then usually they're really big. And that was the case on this one. I mean, his, his ears just looked tiny and then just this big barrel of a head. Yeah. Tana, what about, what about you walking up on this thing and, and actually getting to, to size him up laying on the ground there dead in front of you for the first time? Yeah. I mean, I, two years ago, I shot a eight and a half foot sow with my bow. I mean, this thing just looks so much bigger than that. I haven't bear hunted that much. You know, I haven't seen that many bears on the ground. I've seen them around, uh, but walking up to it, I mean, you just see like its butt and its legs and its feet and its head. I mean, everything is just huge. Like it looks prehistoric. That's the best way I can describe it. It's just a, a prehistoric beast. And he just like dwarfed the size of my eight and a half foot sow. So I knew he was a big bear. I'm not good enough to be able to look and know if that's a nine or a nine and a half or a 10. Um, but looking at him, I was pretty close, pretty sure he was close to 10 feet. Um, and that's nose to tail, claw to claw squared. Um, so, you know, when they stand up, they're, you know, 12 feet tall, just towering over you. They're just big, big animals. And they're, yeah, their skull is just huge. <laughs> it's massive. That's crazy. All right, so kind of picking up where we left off, y'all are y'all are getting this thing out. You you have the hide, you have the skull packed up. Obviously, you, you said it's raining, everything's wet. You you put your set up your tarp down the in the riverbed overnight and and got some got what dry clothes you did have on. You 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 changed out. So kind of taking us from there into into getting out the rest of this trip. We'll we'll pick up there if you can. Tell us how you how you ventured out. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, for me, it was like, okay, we're under this under this tarp, and I mean, you're just looking outside, and it's just rain going sideways. And it's not, you know, I mean, I've been in quite a bit of rain before, and a lot of times it's, you know, it'll let up or something like that. And the, the Alaska rains don't seem to. If you're in the middle of a storm, it's just solid downpour, big drops, a lot of drops. It's putting down some water, and I didn't really have much motivation in the morning. Um, I got about two hours of sleep. Probably we're sleeping directly on river rocks in the middle of the riverbed just because we didn't want to tuck ourselves in brush and have a possible bear encounter where we couldn't see anything. And so we were in the middle of a river. I mean, and and so sleeping right on the rocks, Tannis up maybe an hour. Um, and it was just really hard to get the motivation to get out of there in the morning and put your soaking wet boots back on and start the track out. Um, so I actually, we, we skinned out the, um, we skinned out the bear's feet, um, under the tarp in the morning, just as we kind of tried to build motivation to get out, um, from underneath the tarp. And it was actually Tana kind of had to talk me to get out. I mean, I was just like, man, I just don't want to go out there. I mean, it was just brutal. And Tana just kind of got up and got out and just started getting wet. And I was like, okay, I guess we don't have much of an option. So we started the trek out. Um, and it, it rained the whole time pretty much. And so we had a couple river crossings, which were now deeper because of the amount of rain that was getting put down. Um, and so we just started the track out, you know, at first, when you start with a pack that big, you can go a little ways. I mean, you still can't go really far, but I mean, I would say we would make it, um, you know, maybe a hundred to 200 yards before we have to take a break. 
Um, and for me, I like to take breaks sitting down, but Tana was just, she'd prefer to just stand up and take breaks because it's so hard to get back up with a backpack like that. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, we just started working our way out. I would say it was five, 10 minutes before it's like, you just got, you know, dipped into a bathtub and taken out with all your clothes on. And so just completely soaked to the bone. Um, but it was just, we knew what we had to do. We've, we've got a long ways to get back to the tent and we need to do it today. Um, we don't have food to last us any longer. Can actually couldn't even eat. Um, and so I'll, I'll let her talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I just, you know, when you go in fight or flight, your body is just under so much adrenaline and I just get very sick whenever I am stressed or have a lot of adrenaline and I just, I couldn't eat. I sat there for, I don't know how long to try and stare at my food and try to make it look appetizing and try to shove it down and it didn't really work um so yeah I went from the time we basically started climbing that mountain to the bear up until we got back to our tent um over 24 hours later I didn't really eat anything I think I tried to eat one little protein bar and I just kind of like <laughs> shoved it down um but yeah I pretty much went without food the whole time and I was obviously pretty tired and I kept hitting walls but I just couldn't, I couldn't force it. And I'm a nutrition and a health coach. And this is stuff that I preach all the time. Like try to eat, try to eat, try to eat. So you don't hit these walls. And I just, I could not physically do it. Um, and then even after I got back to the tent and I slept for a good 12 hours and I woke up, I was still nauseous. I mean, for a good like 48 hours, I couldn't eat and I had zero appetite. Um, so I'm really just shocked at what my body actually did to be able to pack out, you know, nine miles of a hundred pound pack on no food. Like I'm pretty sure I burned all the muscle that I worked really hard to build this last year. <laughs> so that sucks. But uh, made it out alive. So I guess that's what matters. So how long total did it take you guys to to get this thing out? So I think we got back it was about six o'clock that night. Um and so it was, you know, it was about a yeah, so I mean, it was about a it was about a thirty six hour trek as far as um, from from tent to getting back to tent. Wow, um, at least. And so, um, and of course, you know, the rain decided to stop about a half hour before we made it to the tent. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it would have been really nice if that happened earlier, but that's just kind of the way it works sometimes. And so, yeah, I mean, we made it back to the tent, and we both just laid down and slept for twelve hours. We were just both so exhausted. Um, I've never been to the point where I've ha gotten normally I'll get sore the day after or two days after and uh, about a half a mile before we made it to the tent, my legs got sore. Like you, like you had the hardest leg workout of your life. And it was the second day. I mean, it was weird that it hit me while we were still hiking and I just got just, my legs just got super sore um, by the end. I mean, it was seriously maybe 50 yards between um, legs collapsing and having to take a, a little break, you know, and then you just do everything you have to get back up and, and go another 50 yards before your legs collapse. I mean, it was taking your body to failure time and time again, um, until we made it back. I mean, I've had a lot of pretty heavy packs as far as elk and stuff goes, but I've never had to push that, that hard and push, um, through the kind of terrain that we were in. It was just, if you look at it, it looks flat and fairly easy to go across. And once you start walking across it, you realize really quick on how many draws there are and how many um, brush patches there are. And, and for the most part, most of it was either devil's club or alders. 
And so if, uh, of anybody that knows what Devil's Club is, it's basically uh, it's a pretty stemmy plant um, that the stems are all just full of spikes. And so when we got back, I mean, your hands are all bloodied from, from grabbing Devil's Club and from them scraping across the back of your hands and this and that. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's just it, it wasn't an easy terrain to go across in any shape or form. Well, that is that is absolutely it's a crazy story first off. And then just the, the challenge of getting it out, um, on top of everything is, is equally as challenging. So very, very incredible. So yeah, what- and Tana's husband actually wanted to come get us that night. Um, cause, cause like I said, you know, 30 minutes before we got back, the weather started to get halfway decent. And so, um, he, he was thinking about coming and picking us up just cause he, I think he felt kind of helpless, you know, not being able to help us in that situation. Were y'all able to be in contact with him most of the time, or was it just here and there? Every you once know, you have those enraged messages that that take sometimes fifteen minutes to send, and sometimes they take an hour to send. And so um, that's all you have is just the text messages, and you can only send a certain amount of words or whatever. Um, so we did have some pretty good contact with him, um, which helps. Um, but at the same time. Uh, you still have to wait for weather. And so he was, he was planning on coming in that night. And I just told him, I said, there's no way that we can, we have the energy right now to pack up camp and um, make it all the way to the beach. You know, we were probably almost a half a mile from the beach from where our tent was set up. And so you have to tear down camp and, and, you know, we, our tent, we, we slept pretty comfortably, you know, we had little cots in there and we had, um, you know, sleeping pad, sleeping bag, and so uh, it was about two or three trips to the beach to get all of our gear there to where we could get picked up. And I told Tana, there's no way we can do that right now. We just don't have the energy. We need to sleep. We need to eat. And so, um, yeah, we both just pretty much laid down and passed out and woke up 12 hours later. I mean, it was just pure exhaustion. We woke up thinking, okay, weather's supposed to be good today. Let's let's get out of here. You know, and we walk out of the tent and we were fogged in. And so um, it was still, uh, luckily, by the end of the day, it ended up clearing up. So they came and picked us up in the afternoon. But, um, yeah, we were back there for about eight days, I think, from the time that uh, they dropped us off to the time that they picked us up. That is, that is incredible. So what what are some of your, looking back now, because we're, we're getting, you know, to be several days, a couple weeks past this event, um, what are some of your your biggest conclusions, biggest takeaways from this trip, things you would have done differently as, as you reflect on it. And, and as y'all have said several times, process everything. I would say a big thing is just preparation. Um, as far as uh, going through the night that we spent, I would say be a little bit more prepared there. I mean, we, we did pretty good, honestly, if we wouldn't have had all those dry stuff and dry bags, we, uh, I, I don't know if we would have made it through the night without getting hypothermia. It was, it was pretty brutal and we were soaked to the absolute bone when we got underneath that tarp. And so, um, but there was things that could have made it more comfortable and we already had a fairly heavy pack. And so, um, you know, it wouldn't hurt to throw a sleeping pad in so where we weren't sleeping on river rocks. Um, and then there's these things that are, they're kind of like a down booty. Um, that I usually wear in tents um, just to keep my feet warm. And it would have been really nice to have those um, to, to at least sleep a little bit better through the night. But as far as the bear goes, I would say um, you just always got to have more backup than you think. Um, 
you know, I've even talked to guides since then that said, you know, we have, oh yeah, I pack one rifle and, and that's my backup. I pack a pistol and I'm like, well, that's not a backup then if you have one rifle. And so, um, you know, this was a bolt action rifle that, that has never failed us and it failed us in the worst possible time. And so, um, I would always have two rifles um, if I were going with bears like this. And I would always, even if I wasn't hunting bears, if I was just out where these bears are at, I would say everyone has to have a pistol on them. And not a small pistol, um, uh, not a 10 millimeter. Um, I've had quite a few people ask me, why aren't you shooting? Why weren't you shooting a 10 millimeter? You know, you have more rounds that way. Well, um, you know, if you look at a 454 pistol versus a 10 millimeter, bullet um that in itself should answer that question but aside from that um you know you have a lot more possibilities for failure when you have a semi-automatic pistol and so um where you're in alaska where you're you know you go back to the tent after a rain day your guns don't get to dry out you don't they don't get oiled up and cleaned um you know you're they're wet from day in and day out and so you know you might have a 10 millimeter pistol that has 10, 13 rounds in it, but it doesn't do you any good if it jam, jams after the first round or the second round. And so um, I would always say everybody should have a revolver on them and at quick access, um, I, I probably wouldn't go on another hunt around these bears without everyone having a revolver on their chest. Yeah. Tana, what about you? Yeah, kind of ditto to everything. <laughs> we got to learn the same lessons and um, I don't know if I'll bear hunt anytime in the near future, but maybe someday. <laughs> yeah, I I don't blame you. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I've actually just bought a, a 500 Smith and Weston, um, and so yeah, I mean those those are the big, basically the biggest pistol ever made. And so after that encounter, I thought, okay, there is no such thing as too big. And so um, yeah, so I would just always say get a big caliber rifle and a, and a big caliber pistol because it's there's no such thing as too big in that scenario. Um, you want the biggest as possible. These bears are a lot tougher than any other animal I've ever seen. I mean, I've shot multiple moose. I've shot a lot of elk. Um, you know, which are all pretty tough animals, a lot of black bears, that sort of thing. It's just none of them even remotely hold a candle to what these big bears can go through and survive and still push through. Um, you know, when you're archery hunting them, something that we studied before we went out was that you have to hide from the bear after you shoot. If you if the bear sees you, um, even with an excellent, excellent archery shot, if the bear sees you, it can get to you before it'll die. And so um, you have to hide after you shoot one with a bow. And so um, it, it's just they can close ground fast and they can move way faster than it looks like. You think they're big and fat, but, man, they can move ground. Well, guys, like I've said several times, uh, an incredible story. Um, and uh, more than anything, I'm glad, obviously glad both of you guys are, are okay and came out on the other side of it because that's, uh, that's an intense experience for sure and, and not one – while it is educational, you do learn from it in hindsight. It's not one that anybody should envy. So really glad you guys are all right. We are too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, at this point, we're going to kind of start to wrap things up. But obviously, this is you guys' first time to come on our podcast and join us as guests. And we're really grateful that you guys uh, took the time out of your day to come on. Whenever we have newcomers on our podcast, we always ask them a couple uh, just kind of general hunting questions here in closing. So I'm going to hit you guys with that real quick. Um, the first question is, 
give us your favorite hunting memory and just briefly tell us a little about a little bit about it and why. So Trevor, if you want to start. Sure. Yeah. So honestly, probably, um, probably my favorite hunt actually was the one that I, I just briefly touched on earlier. I shot a moose up in Alaska with Tiana, um, last September, I think it was either September, or October. And, uh, that was honestly probably one of the funnest hunts I had been on. Um, it's, there's nothing to me like calling in animals. Um, there's just something about it when you're calling in an animal, it's just really, really fun. And so I actually called in that moose um, into four yards straight on where I shot it with my bow. So that was actually uh, probably one of my number one hunts that I've done. Um, and it's always cool, you know, just being able to go on these hunts with your sister. I mean, how many people can say that they go on these ex- any sort of extreme hunts with their sister, you know, and and for her to be the one to actually push you to do some crazy things. And so um, it's just really cool. Yeah, I'm getting to go on hunts with her. Um yeah, I always have fun up there. And so actually I'm, I'm planning on going on a goat hunt up there in October with them too. And so, um, that'll be a new animal for animal for me that I haven't had the chance to hunt yet. So I'm pretty excited about that one. Awesome. Tana, what about you? What's a favorite hunting memory that you have? Hard one. I got a lot. (laughs) It sounds Uh, like, (laughs) (laughs) um, one of my favorite hunting memories is actually uh, getting a brown bear with a bow. That was a big goal that I had. And after this experience, I don't know why I ever did that or if I'll ever do that again. <laughs> but it was, it was cool at the time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, last year with Trevor was a lot of fun. It was just a cool hunt. I I got a big bull and he got a nice bull with a bow. And then we went out and I got a caribou. So we took, you know, three big game animals in a matter of a couple of weeks. And it was just a lot of fun. And um, just a lot of memories there. Well, very cool. sounds like an awesome experience for sure. All right. Second question for each of you. And then, then I'll, uh, I'll bring us home. What is, and, and this is, this might be even a more challenging question because as you mentioned, y'all have, y'all have done a lot of hunting and up there and a lot of big game, but what is a bucket list hunt that y'all still have that you haven't gotten to do yet? Um, for me, I would say um, I, I really want to get a grand slam. Um, and I think the biggest challenge on that one for me is going to be um, the stone sheep in Canada. And so for me, that's kind of a bucket list hunt that I hope that I'm able to do one day. I really enjoyed my doll sheep hunt in Alaska. And so um, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated with mountains and the animals that live in them. And I mean, it's really, really cool to see what some of those animals do up there. And so um, that would be an ideal hunt for me to be able to go up and, and do a stone sheep in, in BC. That would be incredible. That's awesome. Tana, what about you? Um, if I could, it, this isn't really realistic, but uh, <laughs> I would love to do a polar bear hunt. Uh, right now you can only hunt in Canada and you can't bring them across the border. So I don't think that'll ever happen. But if I could look at any like dream hunt in Alaska, I've done a lot of them. I mean, that's the cool thing is I, I'm like, man, I'm living my dream. Like, yeah. I don't know. Uh, but I would like to do a muskox hunt probably with a trad bow. Cause I just got into shooting, um, a traditional bow versus my compound. So I think it'd be really fun to do a muskox hunt over on Nunavak Island with my bow. That would be fun. Wow. That would be awesome for sure. Very cool. Well, guys, once again, I really appreciate y'all taking the time out of your day today to come on here and, and share your story. I hope that 
I hope that people don't just listen to this as, you know, something for entertainment. I hope that it's actually educational and, and people, same as y'all did in the end, take something away from it and learn something from this experience. So really appreciate you guys coming on and, and sharing your story with us. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us on. I hope that other people can learn from it too. Um, you know, again, I would never wish that something like that happened to anybody else, but um, I'm sure something similar will happen again. And, and hopefully if it does, they'll be prepared for it. Absolutely. Well, guys, before before we hang it up real quick, I'll give you all the opportunity if you want to, um, to tell our, I'm sure that there's people listening to this podcast who are followers of y'all or followers of us. So for those who may not uh, be familiar with you guys, um, if you want to tell folks where they can find y'all and uh, kind of follow your journey, follow your stories. Yeah, mainly for me, it's just on Instagram and it's Trevor Schneider underscore is my, my Instagram handle. Yeah, mine's Tana Sue underscore fit. We'll see a lot about of our Alaska life there. I just share a lot of fun stuff. Well, very cool. Thank you guys again. And for our for our listeners, hope you guys enjoyed listening to this week's podcast episode. If you guys haven't already, hit that follow and subscribe button on whatever app you listen to your podcasts on. We're on all the major podcast platforms. We are back to our regular podcasting schedule after a couple week break. So we're dropping a new episode every Monday morning. So be sure you check out some of our um, previous and our future episodes, obviously. We got a lot of cool stuff coming your way. Um, and then fallobsession.com, that's our hub. That's where you can find all of our original hunting and outdoor content. We're on Facebook, Instagram. You can subscribe to our YouTube. And if you haven't already, um, be sure that you check out the new apparel that we have coming out right now for this summer lineup. We got a new American Pride t-shirt that just came out. So be sure that you go pick you up one of them. Trevor, Tana, thank you guys again for joining us this week. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Thank you all for listening, and we will catch you guys again next week for another Fall Obsession podcast episode.